You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, friends, good morning. Uh, My name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor. I I missed uh, last week with you. Very sadly, I had to go to Arrowhead and uh, be with the Chiefs. And I, I got invited on Monday night to go to the Chiefs game, and I said yes well before I had anything covered for what was going to happen on Sunday. I was all in. Now, that's all I'm going to talk about the Chiefs today. We're going to talk about them a lot next weekend, but that's, that's all I got for today. Um, today, this is part three of a series. We're on Jesus in the present tense. We are uh, looking at seven things that Jesus says about himself, where he, he talks about himself. These are seven, not abstract, like theological principles. These are seven, I think they're seven practical promises of how Jesus changes our life today. And so we're going to look at the third one um, today. Each one of these uh, statements that come from the Gospel of John, and each one of them ha- follows a similar pattern. Uh, Jesus will say uh, something like, I am, and then fill in the blank with his description. And in our modern English ears, we're missing something that Jesus is saying on a, on a deeper level. Because in the New Testament that was originally written in Greek, when Jesus says, I am, he's using this interesting little phrase, and he says, not just I am, in in the Greek, it's ego and me, these two words. And what's interesting about that is both of those words mean I am. So Jesus is is like, I am, I am, these seven times. It's this redundant thing that Jesus is saying. And and the reason he's being redundant is because he's trying to, to pull us back to this tradition that's from the Old Testament, where God revealed himself to Moses. So when God revealed himself to Moses on the burning bush and revealed his name, Um, In Exodus chapter 3, verse uh, 14, God revealed to Moses that God's name was this. This is what the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 3, 14. We should have that slide. Maybe we do not have that slide. Yes, it goes, uh, God said, I am who I am. That's, That's the name of God. I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. Uh, to you, the, the name of God. I am who I am. It's like God is saying, I, I am existence. I am reality. I am. I have always been. I always will be. I just, I just am. I, I, I am. God is. That's, that's, that's who God is. God, God just is. Now, what's fascinating to me about this, um, this name of God, I am who I am. You've, you've probably heard it translated before as uh, the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's probably not unfamiliar to you, Yahweh. And what's really interesting to me about this word um, Yahweh is that we think that's how you say it. We're, like, we're not actually sure that's how you pronounce it in the Hebrew. We think that is. And the reason we think that's how you say it is because there was this tradition that developed among the rabbis that when they were reading the Hebrew Bible and they were the we call it the Old Testament. As we're reading through the Old Testament, they would come across this, this Hebrew word, um, I am who I am. They would not say the word itself because that word is God's name and God is holy and I have sinful lips and so my sinful lips should not pronounce the name of God. And so instead of saying the word, they would substitute the word Adonai, which roughly means Lord. And so in your Hebrew, in your Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, you come across the Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D. That's a substitute, a placeholder for the, for the name of God. And they've been doing that tradition so long that it's been so long since we've pronounced the name of God in the Old Testament that we're not even sure how to say it anymore. And, and we're not sure how to say it anymore because I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, biblical Hebrew doesn't have any vowels. Did you know that? When I enrolled in Hebrew as an elective, no one told me that until I was already in the class. And I feel like that's a pretty important piece of information if you're going to start studying a language. It has no vowels. Very difficult language to study for that reason. So we don't really know how to say it. And I, I find that fascinating that the name of God is, is, is so mysterious. Um, we don't say it. It's not even written in the Old Testament because it's just the word Lord. And then Jesus comes along 
And, and he keeps using this redundant way of like, I am, I am. It's like he's saying, hey, this God, who you won't even say his name, let me show you what he's like. Let, let me paint a picture of what this God is like, because he's not unknowable. He's very knowable. And I want to share with you what, what this looks like and the ways that he can change your life, because he is me. That's, that's this message that Jesus has. And so we're looking through here where Jesus has these words, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Well, today we're going to look at the third one, John chapter 10. Um, and here's how it goes. We're going to read 10 verses today out of John. And uh, here's how it starts. Jesus says this. He says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Pharisees, of course, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, Jesus, for the next 10 verses we're going to read, is going to use this metaphor of, of a sheep pen and gates and robbers and sheep and this kind of thing. And, he, and he's doing this for a very specific reason, because in the Old Testament, there is this tradition that, uh, that the leaders of Israel were often compared to shepherds. And so he's talking here to leaders, and so he's, he's talking here about leadership. This is, this is the message he has about these, about these leaders. And in chapter 9, right before this takes place, these leaders, these Pharisees, have just an epic leadership fail. Jesus miraculously heals this man, and instead of uh, celebrating this great thing that God has done in this man's life, they criticize the man, the leaders, they criticize Jesus, they criticize people who believe in the miracle, all because it took place on the Sabbath, and like, well, obviously God doesn't work on the Sabbath, so can't really be God. It's like they just criticize everything that God is doing just because it doesn't fit within what they think God should be doing. And, and so there's this leadership fail that happens. And so Jesus is, is here. He's got this message about, about leadership because he's talking here to leaders and he's using this Old Testament kind of imagery. Let's keep reading here. Verse two, he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. Listen to how the shepherd is described. I think it's just beautiful. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought them out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. I just love that picture of a shepherd. Verse five, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize um, a stranger's voice. Verse six, Jesus used this figure of speech but the Pharisees do not understand what he was telling them. And really we could read verse six as saying, but the Pharisees do not understand that he was talking about them. Like, like they are the ones who are leading the people astray. They are the ones who aren't following uh, what it is for good leadership in, in God's way. And so um, Jesus gets frustrated. Verse seven, therefore Jesus said again, that should be emphasized there again, he says, very truly, I tell you, I am. Ego ami, I am, I am, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have ever come before me, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, looking at you, Pharisees, all who have ever come before me are thieves and robbers, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, I am, one more time, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved they will come in and find out and go out and find pasture. And then verse 10, if you're reading from your own Bibles, you need to underline verse 10. If you're into memorizing the Bible, you need to memorize verse 10. This is just such an important verse in the New Testament, such an important promise that we have here. Jesus wraps this up. And he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, they may have life and have it to the full. 
great, incredible promise that Jesus gives here. We'll unpack that in a few more minutes. But this great thing that Jesus says, and he's got this metaphor that he works out here for these 10 verses of sheep pens and, and shepherds and, and, uh, and these thieves and robbers. And, and he's, he's building on something that would have been far more familiar to them than it is to us. Some, some metaphor that, of course, is lost on, on our modern ears. And so to catch maybe more of this metaphor, uh, let me show you a picture of, of a sheep pen that Jesus might have been talking about when he calls himself the gate. So here is um, a, a picture of what would look like a, a sheep pen in ancient Israel. And uh, you can see the rocks that the shepherds would have put the sheep in to, to hold it. And you can see there's an opening there for the gate. The gate is, is missing in this picture. And, and it's, it's missing because uh, in those days, most of those sheep pens didn't have actual gates. You see, shepherds um, didn't have like a nine to five kind of job. It wasn't a 40 hour a week, go home at night, eat dinner, rest up, and then come back the next day. Rather, shepherding was like an always everyday kind of job. And so what the shepherds would do is they'd bring their sheep into the pen at night, um, and there would be an opening in the sheep pens that would be wide enough for a man to sit, sometimes to lie down. And the shepherds themselves would become these gates that would hold the sheep in overnight. When Jesus says, I'm the gate, he's referring to how these shepherds were the ones who literally guarded the sheep's lives with their own lives. That they put themselves um, on the line to protect the sheep from, from robbers, from thieves, from predators, from anything that's going to cause them, them harm. And so this is the, the image that Jesus has is he, he is the gate because he is, he is the shepherd that leads his sheep. He is the shepherd that protects them from harm. He is the shepherd that in the morning is going to lead them out to water and safe pasture. He is the shepherd who knows their, them by name and they know him and they follow him. He is, he is the shepherd who puts his own life on the line. And so um, in December, the church installed some stained glass windows in our sanctuary to, to depict these seven I am statements. Some of these windows are pretty obvious. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. You can probably pick out which ones those are. But I've had more questions about any of these windows about than, than this particular one. I am the gate. So let's, let's talk about this particular window um, that's been installed in the sanctuary here. It's at the very far end. We'll put it on the screen so you don't have to crane your neck. It's a lot easier to see. But here is this, this, uh, this depiction of our stained glass of this, this promise that Jesus gives us of I, I am the gate. I am the gate. And in this, in this stained glass window, you can see a few things here. Um, on the left side is a, is a stone pillar. Uh, you see here um, a curtain. That's what the purple is. That's been, that's been uh, separated. Here in the middle is the sign of the Trinity. Uh, God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And along the curtain, you see uh, a lining of red and and so what you have in this, in this uh, stained glass window, this depiction of this promise, I am the gate, is, is you have a depiction of something that takes place in Matthew chapter 27, which tells us about this. And Matthew 27, describing Jesus on the cross, at the very end of Jesus' life, at the very, very end of the crucifixion, Matthew 27, this is what we read. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That is, Jesus, Jesus died. And at that moment... The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so this picture that we have of the, of the, of the gate, what we've depicted here is this scene where Jesus has died and, and what's taken place is this inner room of the temple, the Holy of Holies, that is um, off limits to, to people because God is there, that God is, uh, his presence is there and sinful people can't be where God is and they're separated from God from the, from the uh, curtain that 
The curtain is torn in two by the blood of Jesus. That's you got the pillar representing the temple. The, the curtain is there with the purple. The red is that blood that is that has torn the curtain from top to bottom, meaning this is God's action, not ours. It doesn't come from bottom up. It comes from the top down. This is God's action, allowing us into the presence of God because Jesus is the gate. He is the access point into the presence of God, that which has been separated from us, that which has been off limits to us, we have now been welcomed into the presence of God. We've now been welcomed into a relationship with him. We've been welcomed into what he can do for us. Which brings me then back to the promise of John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, sometimes translated as abundant or overflowing, This is a metaphorical way of saying the same thing, that through Jesus, there is this promise that he is the gate, he is the access point, he is the entryway that allows us into the presence of God, because it's only within the presence of God that we find this this life that's overflowing, this life with a capital L, life that's more than just to-do lists, and life that's more than just getting to the next day, and life that's more than just enduring, life that's more than just putting up with things and settling for things, but rather is a life that is full of joy and peace, a life that's full of purpose, a life that is overflowing with satisfaction and contentment. This is the life that you find when you walk in the presence of God and Jesus. He is the gate. He is the access point to that. He is the one who welcomes us into that which has been far away. He welcomes us into the very, the very presence of God. It's an incredible promise we have that Jesus is the gate, the access point for us to come into this presence of God where we find life overflowing. And so with this promise said, um, I want to make three observations. Three observations. These are not profound necessarily observations. Anyone here could have made these observations. Let's make three observations, though, about this promise that Jesus is the gate to this full life. We're just going to keep this, um, this verse up here, and we're going to talk through this. So three things I want to say. When Jesus promises us that he is the gate to the full life, I want to be very clear about what he's not promising. Full life does not mean the easy life. So when Jesus promises us the full, the overflowing life, that is not the same thing as the easy life. Just think about the person who wrote this. The person, John, wrote this. He wrote this at the end of his life. John, I don't know if you know his story, but he spent his elderly years exiled on an island because of his witness for Christ. John would have seen all of his friends who followed Jesus and also heard Jesus make this promise that I have come to bring life to the full. John would have seen all of them, Matthew, Andrew, Peter, James, all of those people. He would have seen all of them violently killed because of their witness for Christ. Like this, is, this is not a promise of the easy life. This is not a promise that things are going to be um, easy, that things are going to always go well. It's not a promise that you're going to be free of difficulty. It's not a promise that you're never going to have questions or doubts. That's not what the promise is. The promise is that even though you might have difficulty, even when you have difficulty, even when you go through seasons of darkness, even when there's discouragement, that when the presence of God, there's still encouragement. That even when there's difficulty in the presence of God, there's still joy. That even when there's turmoil in your life around you, then the presence of God, there's still peace. This is the promise that even when there's darkness and dark things happen to you in your life, God still has a way of redeeming those things and working them for his good. This is what the full, the overflowing life looks like, that God is still at work even if the circumstances around us might still be hard. That's my first observation. Just wanted to be very clear about that. The full life does not mean the easy life. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing I want to say is that while Jesus promises us the full life, 
that's not the only option. This here talks also about a thief, a thief who is actively working to keep us from having the full life. And so I've been thinking about this promise this week, that there is this promise that through Jesus, we have the full life. And I've been thinking about this week, and I, I just, I can't help but ask a secondary question with this. Because as I think about this promise, I also start wrestling in my head. I'm like, well, if this is true, that Jesus offers us a full life, uh, why is it that sometimes, not all the time, of course, but sometimes followers of Jesus are the most miserable people to be around in the entire world? Followers of Jesus can be judgmental. Followers of Jesus can be fearful. Followers of Jesus can be mean-spirited and critical. I've been hurt more by followers of Jesus than I have by the world. I'm just telling you, and I got real silent in here when I said that. It's just the truth. And I've been wondering, like, how in the world can this be? Have we not read the promise? There's a full life available for us. And, and, and I, I just, I quickly come back to us. Oh, yeah, there's also a thief. And the thief is actively working to steal our joy. The thief is actively working to steal our, our contentment and our peace. He's actively working to steal our satisfaction. He's actively working to steal the full life that we find through Jesus. Now, probably when I mentioned the thief, uh, if probably most of us, we, we thought about Satan. We think about the work that Satan does to destroy people. Uh, you think about Satan and the ways that maybe Satan works to steal the life that God promises. And a lot of times we think about very big things, um, senseless violence. We think about things like abuse, uh, addictions, these kinds of things that just rob people of life and rob people of joy. And certainly I think that's a way, one of the ways that the thief works. But I, and, I, and I think probably Jesus was referring to some of those things. But I also think Jesus is talking about something more than just maybe some of the obvious ways that the thief works to steal our life. Um, for instance, when Jesus says that the thief um, has come to steal, that word steal in the original Greek, it doesn't mean a violent criminal. It, it implies more like a con artist. The, the thievery that the thief does is, is sometimes so subtle that you don't even realize that you've been stolen from until afterwards. You don't even realize that the thing that you have, it's, it's missing because the thief is so subtle and the thief is so, is, is just, he just robs things from you without you even realizing that, that he's robbed it. And it's not always in obvious ways like addictions and obvious ways like abuse or violence. Sometimes the thief can use everyday, even sometimes good things to, to rob the life that Jesus wants to offer you. For instance, in this passage in John chapter 10, when Jesus talks about the thief, he talks about him four times. And in each one of those times, there's a very specific target he's talking about. Who is the thief in John chapter 10? It's the Pharisees. It's the religious leaders. These are people who aren't bad people. They want what's genuinely best for people. But the religious leaders, for some reason, are targeted here as the thief. And I can't help but think that the reason they're targeted here as the thief is because the thief that Jesus refers to can be so subtle that you don't even realize he's stolen from you until after you've already been robbed. That these religious leaders had some sort of message that while it was maybe good in and of itself, it still robbed people of the life that Jesus wanted to give them. That the thief can use 
subtle ways, subtle ways to steal your joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction, subtle ways to steal the life that Jesus wants to offer to you. A couple months ago, I was talking to somebody in, in town, not, doesn't go to church here, and I, and I told him I was the pastor at Schweitzer, you know, introduced myself as pastor at Schweitzer. And, and sometimes when you tell strangers that you're a pastor, those conversations go one of two ways, right? It either immediately shuts down the conversation because who wants to talk to a pastor? Or it opens up all, all other kind of conversation that you never know where it's going to go. And this was one of those kind of conversations where I just, I said I was a pastor and we'll just see where this conversation takes us. And, and this person, when I told him I was a pastor at Schweitzer, they just, he just lit up. And uh, he started to tell me about how he grew up as a Methodist. He goes to some other church now, I don't, I don't remember where, but he, uh, he told me he was a Methodist and he grew up in this small farming town and he, he started to tell me about his dad, how his dad uh, was a Methodist his whole life, involved in this small church his whole life and his, like, his grandparents and like generationally had been involved in this small church. And he started to tell me all the things that his dad was involved in the church. He'd been a Sunday school teacher and a trustee and a building committee. Like he was not a casual churchgoer. He was really, really really invested in this local church. And then he told me that when his dad was in his 70s, this, new ch this church got a new pastor. And the, the pastor was, was young, like 25 years old. And I expected the story then to tell me about how the guy just tanked the church. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a fun story. But it's not how the story went at all. And he told me that the, this, this young 25-year-old pastor started to preach messages that his dad had never heard before. 70 years in church, never heard messages like this. And he said all he started to preach about was how to have and develop a personal relationship with God. And he says that one day his, the pastor came over to his dad's house and they're talking one-on-one. -on -one. And, and the pastor asked his dad, do you know Jesus? A basic question, do you know Jesus personally? And, and his dad started to tell him all the things that he had done in church. Like he'd been a trustee and taught Sunday school and he'd you know, been on the district committee or whatever. And he'd, you know, he'd done all these things. He's really involved in church. He's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He's like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus in your life? Do you experience him? And do you know him? And do you know what his voice sounds like and how to be led by him? And, and, and this guy, he told me that his 75-year-old father who'd been a church leader his whole life was led through the gate by this 25-year-old pastor just simply asking him this question. And I heard that story and I just like it grabbed my attention. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world can someone go to church their whole life and miss this basic message of full life that's available through Jesus? How can someone go to church their whole life, be involved in leadership and teach Sunday school, tithe and do all these religious activities and yet miss the basic of a personal dynamic relationship with Jesus? And then I was like, oh yeah. I know how that happens. There's a thief. The thief, it's not always obvious. Sometimes it's very subtle. And sometimes the thief can even use good things like church to distract us from what a personal dynamic relationship with Jesus looks like. There's a thief. He's not always obvious. It's not always abuse and addictions and senseless violence. Sometimes it's religious activities where we just start going through the motions and our hearts grow cold and we don't even realize it until it's too late that we have, we've lost, we've been stolen from the joy, the peace, the life that Jesus wants to give us. One more observation. Jesus says, I am the gate, the gate to life, the full life. Jesus did not say, I was the gate to them back then, once upon a time, a long time ago. Jesus does not say, 
I will be the gate to life that's to the full when you die and you go to heaven. He says, I am the gate today in the present tense. I have life that's available for you now. So friends, this morning, my my goal with this uh, third promise of Jesus was really simple. I just wanted to remind you of the promise um, that there is life to the full available to you through Jesus. It's a life of joy and peace, satisfaction, purpose, and meaning. It's a life of health and wholeness. It's a life of love and forgiveness. And and if I go out on a limb here, I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb to say that for most of us, if not all of us, we also need to realize that there is a thief that's been trying to steal from us. And so instead of living into the peace of God, we've chosen to live into anxiety. Instead of living into healthy relationships, instead we've been holding on to grudges. Instead of having purpose and meaning, we've been drifting, not knowing what it was that God actually wants for us in our lives. Instead of having a dynamic personal relationship with him, we just go through the motions of religion and church, but we don't actually know him. There is a thief that has been trying to steal your joy, your peace, your faith, your trust. He is working tirelessly. You, most of the time, you won't even realize what he's doing because he's, he's, he's active in that kind of way. But friends, I just, I just want to offer you this, this reminder and this promise that there is life to the full. It's available through Jesus. He is the gate, the access point, the entryway. For some of us this morning, there might be some specific areas that if we bring this up and you start to think about it, you can start to pinpoint some ways maybe the thief has been stealing from you. High levels of anxiety or fear are generally great places to look for those things. There are others of us who might be here today and maybe have been coming to church for a long time, but if we are honest with ourselves, we don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And today is a day for us to walk that line of faith and to put our trust in him, to invite him into our life, that we might walk past the gate into the entryway of of life um, to the full. An invitation to us to a full life. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I thank you today for your great love and faithfulness that you gave your only son for us that we might find life to the full. And there is a thief. He's working to steal from us, working to rob us, working to persuade us and to take our eyes off of you. And so this morning, uh, maybe for some of us, there are some specific ways that we can recognize that we have taken our eyes off of what you want for us in our life. There are some relationships that are broken. There is some anxiety that we can't seem to get over. There is some, some grudges. There, there are things that we need to deal with because they are not the life to the full that you offer for us. For others of us here this morning, maybe we have been like that, that man. We are good at church, but if we're honest, we don't really have a relationship with you. We don't know what it is to be led by you as the shepherd leads the sheep. We don't know what it is to experience your presence and we... Basically, we, we don't know what it is to walk in, in the joy that you have for us. And so this morning, uh, we want to we turn to you. The simple prayer of faith that, Jesus, would you forgive us of our sin? and Would you lead our life? Because it is in you, when we trust in you, that we find life abundant and life to the full. I thank you for this promise that you offer to us that you are the gate. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. 
You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co, and if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.